0: Backs. We're going to be in there this morning, uh, but before we do that, I just want to let you know something that's coming up uh, that some of you may want to be involved in. Uh, we live in a different time than when, even when I was a kid growing up in the church, and one of the areas that, that we take very seriously here, and uh, we take it, uh, most time you won't even see this going on, but it has to do with our security. We want you to be safe here. We know we're safe in the arms of Jesus, but we also want to do what is prudent, uh, and uh, Our church is going to be sponsoring a church security seminar uh, on February the 17th. Now, not everybody has to be involved in this, of course, but if you are concerned about that want to be involved in it, there are flyers in the foyer. You'll need to go online and register for that if you'd like to be a part. It's a one-day seminar from 8 to 3 on that Saturday. So if you have any questions, where's Ryan Stone? He's probably out doing security. So uh, see Ryan Stone. He'd be glad to to help you with that. And also, uh, I think Chad... Uh, Burnick, and he's probably out doing stuff too. I think they do that so they get out of the sermon. I'm not sure. <laughs> but anyways, all right. Acts chapter 2. First of all, thank you, uh, Cornerstone. We had a great celebration last week, didn't we, as we celebrate what God has done. And... Uh, So much work, and and again, I I will not call out specific names because so many people, and it it, it wasn't just one event. We're talking about 50 years and and all the people been involved. So I appreciate your activity and your involvement in a ministry that God has called us here at at, at this church. So uh, I'm very grateful to be your pastor and uh, looking forward to a few more years uh, for that to be so. I'm actually more looking forward to Jesus coming back, so we'll... uh, We'll, we'll get ready for that. Let me, uh, let me just share this with you as, as we, uh, like Pastor Cliff said, next week we're going to go into the book of Ephesians. It's going to be a great study. So I hope that you will, you will take time to be a part of that. And, you know, we think about Ephesians, you think about the people of God. Uh, those who are in Christ Jesus and, and what he has make, made us and what he is making us. You see, our Christian faith is not a done deal in one, in one sense, although it's a done deal in another sense. We are secure in Christ Jesus. We have eternal life. Our sins are forgiven and we have a home in heaven. But God is still active in our lives, changing us and growing us and, and, and developing us to be the people he's called us to be. So I want to take a moment here this morning and look at Acts chapter 2. As we look in Acts chapters 2, we see the dynamic of the early church. And I've heard, I can't tell you how many pastors have said to me, and I probably said it too, I just wish we could get back to first century church. Well, you know, there are some, clearly some things in the first century church that, that are desperately needing in our churches today. Uh, we, we're not going to do it the same way. Our, our methodology will not be the same as, as it was then. But that which is behind everything we do should always be there. And I want to tell you what is the key, I believe, that we would be that New Testament church that God has called us to be. And I don't want you to miss this as I talk about some other things about relationships, but even the basis of relationships we have and who we are to be as a, as a New Testament church is found in this truth. I want you to get this. If you don't write anything else down, write this down. It is the centrality of Christ. If Christ is not in the middle of, if he's not, we talked about last week, the cornerstone, if he's not everything to us, it doesn't really matter what else we do. He is the sure rock or the sure foundation we build The church upon, or he builds a church to us. He is that cornerstone, uh, which, which every other stone is laid out perfectly. He is that cornerstone. And when we talk about relationships and what, what relationships look like in the dynamic of, of the church, if Christ is not central, then it doesn't matter what else we do. It's an interesting phenomenon that's, 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 uh, that's uh, happening in, in, in Christendom today. It seems like Christ has been sort of uh, set aside. I mean, he's still there. We don't mind saying Jesus, and we don't mind having pictures of him, and we don't mind having crosses in our building. But when you tell somebody as a born-again Christian that not only should Christ be central in every ministry we do as the body of Christ, but he needs to be the central figure in your individual life. Before you make any decisions, before we do anything, not only corporately, but as individuals, we need to ask, is this God's will in my life? Is Christ in the midst of this? So now we take our Bibles and we look at an example of relationships, of the, I'm going to use this term this morning, of the fellowship of the saints, and how it looked in that First church, and if you've read the Bible, and I know you have, you notice these things don't always stay. Unless you nurture these things, they don't stay. And even in that first century church, it wasn't long before they started walking away from all of this. And part of the problem was they lost the centrality of Christ in what they were doing. And we have this tendency as human beings to trust the method rather than to trust the person of Christ. Christ. I believe God is calling us back to that. And if we want to have the relationships that he intended for us to have to literally be a fellowship of saints, he must be in the middle of it. But he has given us some tools that I want to share some of those things with you today. So let's read to what the scripture says. Chapter 2 of the book of Acts, starting at verse 40. And it talks about that church, that fellowship of the saints. It says, and with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. That's Peter speaking there. And he goes on to say this about them. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they confessed, excuse me, continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon Every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. And they sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So they continued daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking of bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. What a beautiful picture and what a beautiful dynamic I hope that you see in this passage here. I, I always think about, you know, you think about that early church and, and you think about all the training we've had. I mean, some of you have been, some of us, us have been in, in, in church for decades. We've been to, Bible college, and we've been to seminary classes, we've been all these things, we are, we are super prepared, we are super, well, maybe over prepared in some cases. And I always think about this first century church, and I always say, you know what, they didn't know anything better than to trust the Holy Spirit of God. Amen. They didn't know anything better. They took Jesus' word literally when he said, You know what? The time is going to come when the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you, and, and you will be empowered by that Holy Spirit, and he will make you witnesses of me. So that really is the dynamic of the world of the church to the world. We are called to be witnesses, not so much, and we always do it for Christ. And that's true in a certain sense, but it's more we are to be witnesses of Christ. That is, they can see our life and we can share the words where we we are testifying of the fact that we are followers of Christ. That's what we've been called to be to the world. But we've also been called to be something to each other. There is the fellowship of the saints. There is the family of God. There is a a connection that God has called us to have with one another. And we know how difficult that is. When we talk about the nuclear home and we see sometimes how difficult that is just to hold together. Amen? Sometimes that's a struggle to hold together. Uh, you You know, I'm pretty funny on Facebook, those of you who are my Facebook friends and stuff, and Teresa and I decided that we would do the pantry yesterday. We didn't even ask for prayer. We just went at it. <laughs> and uh, we're still married this morning. <laughs> Life is hard. Relationships are hard. They're hard in the nuclear family. They're hard with the extended family. And yes, they are hard in the church body or the church family. And all these things are under attack by the by the prince of this world, and the spirit of this age. You understand that it is Satan's purpose to destroy. What does he like to destroy? Well, first of all, he likes to destroy your family. It's incredible when you think about the attacks that, that our families are coming under from every side and every source, it seems like. But he also wants to destroy the family which is called the church and destroy the fellowship of the saints. Now God was not unaware of this. It's always been that way if you think about it. It seems like it's accelerated. It seems like they have they more, have more inroads into our homes today than they've ever had before. But God's still aware of what's going on and God has still given us what we need through his word and through being the people of the Lord Jesus Christ that we may be able to stand in the day that God has chosen for us to be here. I want you to get this in your mind and your heart right now. You are here, not just this room, but you are in this world today because God chose for you to be in this world today. You could have been born in any century, at any time, and at any place. You understand that? You actually had no say of it. But God has chosen to put you and me here right now. So what we are facing or will face is not a surprise to him, nor has he left us unequipped to face it. He has given us everything we need, including, now don't miss this, including one another. When someone says, I can be the church on my own, they're wrong. They are wrong. I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. Well, you need. let me tell you this so you get this real quick. You do need to go to church to be an obedient Christian. Well, say, well Jesus loved me. Well, you're right. Jesus loved you individually. But the Bible also says that Jesus loved the church and gave himself for her. The writer of Hebrews was so concerned about this. He said, do not forsake the assembling of yourself together. Now listen to me, and I want you to get this too. There's so many things I want you to get today, so you've got to get it all. No, I'm just kidding. Get what you can get. In a very real sense, some of us think this is the church and this is the totality of the church right here. Well, let me say with every, as kind as I can, that's not true. This hour of the week is not the church. There are so many things going on that are a part of being the body of Christ. You are never not to be the church. We say it, and you've got to get this. The church is not something we go to, church is something we are. So there's never a time that you are not the church. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, you're the church. And the interesting dynamic that God gives us is so so on a Tuesday night, there's a small group of believers that are together. You say, well, Pastor, they're there representing the church. No, they're the church. They're the church. Well, there's a Bible study that happens on a Wednesday evening here. And there's team kids that happened here. They're 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 extension of the church. No, they're their church meeting. We don't see it that way. We only see them as ministries that flow out of the church. So so then people, when they're not involved in every one of those ministries, they say, oh, well, I miss church. You can't miss what you are if you are what you are. Do you get what I just said? Church is not an event that you go to. church is who we are. And the dynamic, again, that God has given us is this dynamic of relationships with one another. So how do we encourage one another in those relationships? How do we build those relationships? How do we actually glean from those relationships so that we so that we might grow personally and not just so we become bloated with our Christianity, but so that we might be able to share what we have gleaned with other people wherever God puts us. Literally, when Jesus talked about the Great Commission, he, uh, we read that and he says, and go into all the world. And that, that, that verb or that term that's used there, it's really more clearly understood as as you go. Because we usually make that, again, an, a specific effort rather than to just, again, be who we are. Think about it this way. The commission of Christ is this. As you go, teach. As you go, share Christ. As you go, love one another. All these things that we know Christ has called us to to do. Because once again, we are the church. And we're always the church. And we were designed to be that body. And we were designed to be a relationship-based group with Christ at the focus. I'm going to tell you something so you get this. Some of you have already experienced Relationships can be messy. I get that? Relationships can be messy. And I guarantee you, you're going to place trust in somebody, and sadly, someone's going to break your trust. Someone's going to promise you something, and they're not going to fulfill that promise. Maybe someone will use you in a, in a way that they shouldn't... Uh, shouldn't use you at all. These things happen. Why? Because we human beings sometimes, even we Christian human beings, sometimes function in the flesh rather than to walk in the Spirit. And the result of you and I walking in the flesh is we'll not only harm our own walk, but we will, and I'm not saying it's always intentional, it's just a it's just result of it. We will, we will harm other brothers and sisters of Christ, which we really don't want to do, but we, but we do that. That's why forgiving, Jesus taught us that we must forgive one another. Listen, I guarantee as you walk in relationship with someone else, you're going to have reason to need to forgive them, and you're going to, they're going to have reasons to need to forgive you. Because that's just how relationships are. So in this picture that that we're given here of the of the first century church what are some what are some things that that, that we can learn uh, about the fellowship that god has called us to? this fellowship of the saints the first thing that we find out in this passage and and again i'm not just going to break down the different words in this passage. i just want you to see some of the principles as we go into this uh, of of this fellowship of the saint that god has called us. and hopefully we can begin to apply these and walk in these in, in these principles the first one is that the fellowship of the saint is inclusive now, when I say inclusive, I don't mean what the world means by inclusive. And I'm just, you understand what I'm saying? I don't mean that. I don't mean that everything and anything is okay. That's not what I mean. What I mean is everybody's included in the body of Christ. In other words, we have, we, we put it this way, we have no hierarchy in this body. There is not one person in this church that's more important than another person in this church. When this church is... Keeping Christ at the center. Everybody's important. Everybody's included. Everybody's a part. One of the things that I dearly love about having our young people lead us in worship: so can they do this? It's not a show. They're up here to lead us in worship. They're included, and they should be. The thought that they are the future church is a is a, is a misnomer. They are the church today. And the church should do everything it can to facilitate everybody being as involved as they feel led in the ministry of the body of Christ. So we are to be, if we're going to be that fellowship of the saints, nobody can be pushed to the side. You know, the thought, you're not welcome here. Your input is not welcome. Your gifting is not welcome. the, The church is not that way or shouldn't be that way. Now, James, the half-brother of Jesus who wrote the book of James, he had to deal with some correction in the church in the first century because they had actually gotten a place where they had established what I would call, let me just use you, notable ones. In other ones, those people who felt like in that day and time that any prominent seat when they gathered together was their seat. And though they would welcome for the most part, the poor, the orphan, the widow, they would welcome them to a less prominent seat in a portion of the building where they weren't really seen or actually heard. I remember there's a song that uh, Cassie Crowns wrote one time. It's called, Does Anybody See Her? It's just talking about a young lady who's living life and not doing really great at living life. But she decided she would come into the church. And the question that she said on the back row as everybody walked by her was, does anybody really see her? And does anybody really care? You never know when you just say hi to somebody, when you just smile to somebody. When you just recognize their existence, what impact that can have. But even on a bigger scale, that the church itself is, is a place where where you can feel like you belong. You're part of the family. I gotta move on. The second thing about the fellowship of saints that we see in this passage is that the fellowship of the saints is a holy fellowship. And what I mean by that, the word holy means to be set apart. There's a a distinction of the church that that we are not like the world, nor are we supposed to be like the world. Jesus said you are to be the salt of the earth, and you are to be a light or his light in the world. Distinctly different. Jesus also said that we are to be a peculiar people. Now, make sure you define that word right, because most of us are peculiar anyway. But he's talking really about being peculiar peculiar in comparison to to the way the world thinks and what the world does and what the world applies we are to be that distinct body holy set apart that's not a bunch of self-righteous hypocrites who tell the rest of the world they're not as good as we are. That's not what he's talking about. But what he's talking about is those who have been set apart, been touched by the Holy Spirit, been cleansed of their sin and are humbled by that cleansing and want to share that with the rest of the world, but also do it from a position of, of living a life that reflects that we are followers of Jesus Christ. So that fellowship of the saint is to be a holy body, set apart in that way. The third thing, the fellowship of the saint is to be, as I said earlier, to be a Christ-centered. Our message is one message to the world. Do you know that? The world needs one message from the church. We're the only one that actually can give this message. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And We said this even last week that every ministry we have in this church, the question needs to be asked, "Does does this glorify Jesus? Is this about Jesus from the bed babies all the way up to our our oldest uh, adult class? Does it glorify Jesus? Does it speak of Jesus? Is he central? Is it centered upon Jesus Christ? When we meet in worship, is worship centered upon Jesus? Every message that comes out of this pulpit, whatever the the topic might be, if you will, it must be Christ-centered because even this entire book is Christ-centered. It's about Jesus. From Genesis to Revelation, it's about Jesus. So it's not very difficult if you... Well, set said it to, you know, look, look at it. It's not very difficult to say, should this be a part of what we're doing as a church? The next question is, is it Christ-centered? If it is, I would say it's okay, wouldn't you? If it's not, we ought to say, no, that's not for us to do. It may be for somebody else to do, and it doesn't make it necessarily evil or bad. It's just the church is distinctly called to be that Christ-centered family or Fellowship of Saints. The next dynamic of the Fellowship of the Saints is that it is to be a family. We changed the name of our church just over almost two years ago. One of the words that we wanted to add into that name was family, family. God intends for his people to be a family. And I said it last week, you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. Which is probably good because we would probably swap off. In some cases, family's not easy. I said that it can actually be difficult, but once again, there is a relation a relational thing that happens in family that says, "I," we don't like this word today. "I'm committed to this group. I'm committed to my." nuclear family I'm committed to my wife I'm committed to my kids I'm committed to my grandkids and because I am you see things in me that reflect that but it's also true in the in the fellowship of believers I'm committed to my brothers and sisters in Christ Those words are not meaningless when I say this person who has no similarity in blood and I can say Even of Dan Pena, I could say, Dan is my brother. I'm picking on Dan, okay? I'm not being mean to him, I'm just picking on him. I can, he's my brother. That's my brother. So I say, that's my brother. And then I say, this is my sister. Because there is a relationship of family that is part of being that fellowship of saints. And I know people, and maybe you're one, I don't know, that are closer to their brothers and sisters in Christ than they are to their actual blood brothers and sisters. Because of that family dynamic. The next thing that, that this Fellowship of Saints is after, after being a family, it, this Fellowship of Saints is a supportive fellowship. A supportive. And what does that look like? Well, it looks kind of like when Moses had the Israelites fighting the Amalekites. And you remember the story? As long as he kept his his arms up, they were winning. Well, Moses was not young and his arms got heavy. By the way, just try that sometime. Keep your arms up like this for about an hour. You can't do it, most of you. Most of us. When his arms got tired and they began to drop, they began to lose. What happened? Two guys come along, Moses and so, alongside Moses, and they held his arms up. We all need that. We need to have those kind of relationships with one another. We need to if those relationships are what they need to be, then we'll know when we need that. You say, Well, Pastor, I'm not going to admit that weakness. Well, you you're 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 a better man than than Jesus is. Oh, wait a minute. What? I would never say that you're a better man, a better person than Jesus if you don't need someone to support you. Because I shouldn't recall, Jesus went to a garden called Gethsemane. The night before he was to be crucified. And there were three there with him. The th- inner circle. That small group that Jesus had. Peter, James, and John. You remember those guys? And Peter said to him, listen, I need to go on just a little bit further and pray. But what I need you guys to do, I need you to pray also. I need you to pray with me. Because this this is going to get heavy, guys. So all I'm I'm asking you to do is pray with me. You Remember what happened? Jesus went on to pray, and these guys just fell asleep. Jesus comes back and he says, guys, for one hour, just for one hour, couldn't you do it with, with me for one hour? Please pray. And you notice he changed the emphasis a little bit when he said, please pray. He said it this way. He said, he actually said, pray that you don't fall into temptation right now. The emphasis, changed the emphasis from praying with him to say, now pray for yourselves, guys. Part of who we are as a fellowship of saints is to be a supportive group of people. You grandparents, like me, when you go see your grandkids do something, it doesn't even matter what they're doing. They're playing soccer, they're playing baseball, you know. And and if we were always honest, we'd say, you know, my we don't want to say this, because my grandkids are the best on the field, I'm just telling you. They could fall flat on their face, and that was the best play I've ever seen. And not only do they play well, they're as cute as can be. You know, what? that's being supportive. So often in church, we're not supportive, we're critical. Someone is doing what they're doing for the glory of God. And we want to say something, well, you know, brother or sister, you actually could do that better. And listen, I'm not talking about excellence. I think we ought to be an excellent people. Recognize where somebody is, and that takes that dynamic of have a relationship, where they are in their growth place, and they may not be where they're going to be 10 years from now, but wherever they are right now, if they're surrendering that to the Lord and giving it to Him, shouldn't the church be the most supportive group of people that they'll ever stand before or stand with? We move on. The Fellowship of the Saints is not only a supportive uh, group, the Fellowship of the Saints is a growing fellowship. That's growing in many ways. That's growing, with the, that's growing with the intent of reaching other people and bringing them in. Who's welcome here? Anybody who trusts in Jesus or anybody who's seeking Jesus. Someone asked me the other day, who's welcome in the church? And the answer is Anybody. Well, what about, it doesn't, there's no what about. So, are they really welcoming, are that, is that group of people really welcome in your church, Tony? Yes. Everybody is welcome in the church. They say, well, man, Pastor, they're not living the life. Are you? Well, they're doing this openly. That doesn't mean they're not welcome here. But when they come here, you know what they're going to hear? They're going to hear what the Word says. The same way you're hearing what the Word says. It doesn't mean we're going to make them a pastor next week. It doesn't mean things doesn't need to change in their life. Of course they. Do. But if they're not here, hearing what the Word says, how are they going to hear? Well, that, pe- oh, that group of people makes me uncomfortable. I guarantee you, you make them uncomfortable. I'm going to ask you this question. Who was welcome around Jesus' table? Who sat with Jesus? Jesus never condoned sin, but he welcomed the sinner. And Jesus had more problem with the religious deadheads of his day than he ever had with with the people of the world. The body of Christ is a growing; we're reaching out, but it's also a growing with from within. That is the encouragement of growing in our faith and and growing in relationships and growing in in, in, in who God has called us to be. The last thing that the fellowship of saints uh, dynamic of it is is that it's a grace orientated fellowship. I like this one. Anybody in here need the grace of God besides me? Anybody in here? Let me just ask, Anybody here think they want? what they deserve from God? If you don't want, not want what you deserve from God, then you're glad for the grace of God because he is a gracious God. But this dynamic that I'm talking about right now is this. Not only is God a gracious God, but the body of Christ is to be a grace-orientated body. You know what that means? That means I am called to extend grace to you. And you're called to extend grace to me. But wait a minute. They don't deserve it. That's the point. Everybody got what I just said? If I only get in the body of Christ what I deserve, I don't even want to think about it. I'm not even just talking about from God right now. I'm talking about from my brothers and sisters in Christ. I know I come up short. I know I fail. I know I make commitments sometimes that I cannot keep. I try to keep them, but I cannot keep. I know not everybody is happy with everything that I do as a pastor here. See, I need, I need your grace, but I also need to be one who extends grace. So often we want to say, well, when they earn it, I will give it to it. Aren't you glad God didn't say that to you? Because you and I could not possibly earn it. Again, we talk, we're talking about this special group called the Fellowship of the Saints. We're a part of one another. And if these things, these, the, these things that I've shared with you this morning, are not a part of what we're doing, we will implode. And churches do it all the time. They literally implode. And they die on the vine. And it's not necessarily because they don't have the right doctrine. It's not necessarily because they don't have the right program. But when we forget that Christ has made us his body, his family, and he intended for us to walk as that people and to receive the, the, the tools that he's given us so that we could grow and be that body he wants us to be, we will, we'll die on the vine. And it's happened over and over and over again. So what I'm hoping that you and I will see is that God has called us to have these relationships, but he's not called us to, to just have relationships. He called us to have healthy biblical relationships. And once again, he's given us the tools to be able to do that so that we can be like that first century church and, 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 and have those things happen as, as he describes right here. Now let me share with you just for a couple moments about the greatest example of this kind of relationship that I'm talking about that the world has ever known. It has become in vogue, and it's not a bad thing, but it's become in vogue to say the church needs to do small groups. And You can call them whatever you want to, fellowship groups or whatever you want like that, but they're called small... So everybody understand we're talking about small groups. It's not a new dynamic, actually. It is how... Christ intended for the church to be. Actually, a more recent dynamic after Jesus rose from the the dead would be a gathering like this. This is the way Western people do church. Okay? The smaller groups, the, 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 the more intimate groups, are modeled for us by the greatest teacher and leader that ever walked on the face of the earth. Jesus modeled it for us. Jesus showed us how to build relationships and to build intimacy. When you have a couple hundred people, it is hard. I would say it's impossible to really become intimate in the sense of knowing what's going on in each other's lives. It's a dynamic that can happen. So we, we literally meet, hopefully, in small groups to allow this happen. Jesus modeled for us some things about the small group. He modeled the selecting. Jesus selected his own small group. You know, remember the original ones he selected? The twelve. I, one of the dynamics that I find very interesting about Jesus' selection of the twelve is he could have done a better job in selecting the twelve. I say that with tongue in cheek. They would not be my pick. I'm not sure they would have been your pick. There were some guys in Jesus' original small group of, of 12 which had some real issues. They had some real problems. They actually, some of them had some agendas that were completely contrary to Jesus. Some of them had some personal motivations. Some desires for position and power and prestige. They want to be on, on the ground floor of this this new movement where where Messiah would establish His kingdom here on the earth, and they would be right there, so they would be be positioned to have that place of prominence. They didn't come into this all with pure motives. But I'm amazed as you look at some of these guys and and you you look at what they uh, what kind of men they were like and. And, and and yet Jesus called them. And then Jesus moves to what I would call even a more intimate small group that someone would call this term the inner circle. Peter, James, and John. And out of the 12, he picks these guys. Two of them are the sons of thunder. And one of them is the most impulsive man that we've ever had recorded for us. In the scripture. And that Jesus had them to be his small group. Now there's a, again, I use the word dynamic a lot today, but I, I want you to see this again. There, there is There's something very special about having a group of people. And it's not meant to be exclusionary of anybody else. But to have a group of people that you can grow with, that you can share with, that you can literally, literally be the term intimate with. But I want to tell you, it doesn't just happen. It doesn't just happen. You have to make it happen. And what it's going to take? Well, first of all, it's going to take time. Jesus walked and lived with these men for three years. For three years. Now, he knew he was going to leave them. He knew that this was not going to be in, in the sense that that small group was going to be going on in, in perpetuity just with, with them. And he was preparing them, of course. But he, he poured his life into them for three years. And you might even say, of that inner group, he poured his life even a little bit deeper into that, into that little inner circle. But folks, it takes time and it takes commitment. It takes a willingness to give ourselves to somebody else or to somebody else's. Do you understand what I'm saying? Church has become a convenience for people. Now, again, I'm not talking about coming to church. I'm talking about being the church. But when we turn it into somewhere we go to, then it becomes another aspect of our life that we can do or not do as life allows it. And depending on where we are and what kind of commitment we have to other people in the body of Christ, and again, it might be difficult to have it to 200, but what about a pocket of people that you you you, you want to be with and, and you want to see and you want to grow with them, okay? If something else comes up for most modern-day Christians, that something else takes priority over anything that the church has to do. And we've actually surrendered that to the world. Examples of that would be, I remember growing up, you would never have anything on Sunday. Ball games. Things like that. Matter of fact, it was so much different back, I'll tell you how old I am now. It was so much different, back, you never had anything on Wednesdays. Because you had the church programs on Wednesdays and stuff. Okay. Now, that's not a plug, again, for saying, again, you go to something or you have to go to something. What it is is a, is a, is a call for us to look at ourselves and say, what do we put before our relationship with those who are supposed to be the closest to us? Jesus showed us, again, they lived life. They did life. They did whatever they, were, they did in, the, in that day and time. They went all, throughout all the country. But they did it as that group of uh, of believers, if you will, that, 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 that group that belonged to Jesus, the disciples in Christ. They did it together. Do you understand the impact the church would have upon the world if the church came together in the fellowship I'm talking about right now? And we lived our lives and we did what we did, wherever we did it, but we did it together. And we grew that kind of intimacy through the, the example of small groups, if you will, that Jesus speaks to us about right here. So it takes time. It takes commitment. I have to be willing to, to, to give myself to others and they need to be, I need to be willing to receive others. Okay. It also takes trust. One of the hardest things for us to build up. To take trust, to be able to share with one another so that we might literally be be, have the kind of intimacy that Jesus and his disciples did. Now, it, as you've read the scriptures, here's what you I hope you've discovered. Jesus and disciples didn't always agree on everything. They had issues with one another. There were times when the disciples had issues with the things that Jesus said. And then the disciples had conflicts with one another. And it would have been easy for them to all just go their own way. But there was a commitment that they had to one another. Think with me just for a moment. Those of you who are married or have been married, what do you do at the initiation of your marriage life together? What's the most common thing that people do? What do they do? They stand, I'm talking about Christians now, they stand before God and... Their family and friends, and they speak words of covenant to one another from a biblical, biblical perspective. That's what I'm talking about: covenant to one another, a covenant that was intended to be unbreakable. How do I know? Because the very words that most of us used when we got married were, "and I will stick with them," not "stick with them." That, that, didn't, we didn't put it that way. <laughs> we use that word. We said, we uh, basically, I. I i well, I forgot my own words I've said a hundred times. But uh, through sickness, through health, through richer, through poorer, better or worse. You know, Lord, I didn't think the worst would be this much. But, but uh, that's, not what, that's not what I say. Okay. Well, what do we do? We say we make vows to one another. We enter into a covenant, a vow, a covenant agreement with, with one another. Well, that's easy to do on the on the day of a marriage or a wedding ceremony because everything's good then. You haven't lived with them. You haven't heard them snore all night long. You haven't had them leave the bathroom however they leave the bathroom. There's so many things. And then you get together and you find out, well, he doesn't, he or she doesn't quite see the world exactly the way I do. And I've tried to correct him over and over again, but he just doesn't seem to get it. And, and he's sitting over saying, what is she talking about? What planet did she come from? Okay. My point is this. There has to be, there has to be a willingness to say, you know what? As best I can, I'm going to enter into this commitment that happens with marriages. It happens when you bring a child into the world because that's that 's at least eighteen years of your life, maybe more okay and it should happen in the body of christ i 'm going i 'm going to be committed to this group of people I'm going to be committed to this the small group of people, but I'm also going to be committed to the body of Christ that, that makes up for us Cornerstone F- Family Church. But, uh, but not only that, I'm also committed to the body of Christ, which, which, is the, the, which is the church worldwide I'm committed to. God has called us to this. And it really does start with, a, if you will, a group of people who start together, encourage. Challenge, iron sharpening iron, as the writer of Proverbs says. Being a part of each other's lives. Showing the world that there's more to our love than just, than just a religious event. It, it, it is we generally do love one another. And because we love one another, we work through whatever we need to work through. And you've heard me say it many times before. The church needs to be a family, which means sometimes we're going to deal with difficult things. And sometimes we're not going to agree. But even in those things, on the other side of those things, we're still family. Because the family is more important, and it is, folks, than the issues we'll ever face. The family is more important. Well, let me me break these things down, and, and we'll finish this up today. What do I need to do? That, become, that becomes a part of the question here. Okay, we got these concepts of the church being family and the fellowships of the saints and and, 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 and even the concept of, of even the, the model that Jesus gave us as he pulled the disciples together. He lived with them. He walked with them. They had intimacy. All these kind of things that are wonderful. And, and we say, All oh, those are wonderful, but what about us? Is there something practical that I can do to make this real in my life? And for other people. Well, let me give you three things very quickly. And they all involve commitment. They all involve commitment. So first thing I would encourage for each of us to think about doing is that we need to commit, commit ourselves to, to the fellowship of the saints. How do we do that? To get involved. One of the evidence that you are part of a family is that you are involved in that family. And one of the easiest, most non-threatening ways to do that is to do it in in people that you have some sort of relationship with, for whatever that that might be. And what I mean by that, that that small group dynamic, we have them happening in this church all over the place. There's a group of guys that meet on Thursday in in my outer office. They're a little bit noisy, but I'm glad they're there. They stay for like two or three hours, too. They have something in common. They're brothers that are that are walking together. Want to encourage each other, and so so yeah, and, and so to get involved in something like that. And we want to be here. I'm gonna just say we want to be here as a church to help you with those things. Our church is scattered all over the East Valley. We have many who were here in Fountain Hills. We have some in Scottsdale. We have some in East Mesa and Mesa and stuff like that. I think we had some. We actually had some in, in Tempe for a while too. It may be even for that small group, again, not just coming here on Sunday, but, but to meet in that regional area and encourage one another. But it does take commitment. It does take a willingness. It does take a desire to put some time aside. Because, church, for us to grow and to be the body that Christ has called us to be, intimacy is required. This surface knowledge of one another, it won't last And I want you to understand why I'm even pointing to all this right now. i got to say that I believe with every fiber of my being that all hell is about to break loose on this earth. I do. I've talked about it before, but I just believe. What you've seen so far, you have not seen anything yet. And I want you to understand that if we're not together... If we're not together, if, if there's not a group you can be with and, and, and talk to and stuff like that, more than just coming to church on Sunday, it's going to be hard to stand. You think the world's going to get better? You're wrong. You think a big revival's coming? It's not. I'll tell you who's coming Antichrist is coming. And we live in the time where everything is being laid out for his arrival. We live in a time when they're lining things up to control the populace. They already have proven that they're going to do that. So uh, Tony's flipped out, gone to a conspiracy. I'm not talking about conspiracy stuff, right? I'm talking about the reality of what the Bible says is coming, and I'm talking about the reality that we live in that time. And if we're not together, we're going to be destroyed. Someone says, well, I got Jesus. Yes, praise God. But could we say it this way? We've got Jesus. And we've got each other by his design. So commit yourself to that. The second thing I would encourage you to commit yourself to is... is is commit yourself to the fellowship of the saint by and this can be a hard one working through relational problems. Sadly, my experience is that most Christians practice avoidance rather than working through relationship problems. How do we do that? We just avoid it. We avoid the person that caused that problem. We avoid the issue that caused that problem. And sometimes we avoid the church that does that. Can I tell you this so you get it? We'll get it. No church is perfect. That's not an excuse for not trying to do better. Don't hear me that way. No person in the church is perfect. Again, not an excuse. Unless we forget this. You're not perfect. And I'm not perfect. That's what we have to work on. If we were all perfect, I mean, the day's going to come where that's going to be so. You're not going to have to worry about relationship problems when you get to heaven. But we're not there yet. It's going to take a commitment to say, you know what? I'm committed to this. I'm committed to the Lord, first of all. I'm committed to the Lord's people. I'm committed to this group that God, God has put me in. And if issues come up, then I'm going to deal with those issues. In love, in forgiveness, what we say, by giving grace where grace is needed. I mean, go back to what I said at the beginning. If Jesus is central in who we are as a church, then why wouldn't we do those things? When I become the central figure, then I'm going to get my way where I'm not going to be. Understand what I'm saying? I'm not going to be here. I'm not going to be in that relationship. I'm not going to be around those people. I'm not going to talk to that person. But when Jesus is center, if Jesus is center of my life, if Jesus is the center of your life, if that's our intent, then there's no reason we, we can't work things out when we get into those relationship things. Even in marriage, we go back to the marriage thing. It's when one spouse or both spouse want marriage to be solely about them that trouble happens in in a marriage relationship. You've heard heard, uh, counselors say marriage is a 50-50 relationship. No, it's not. What are you going to do when you're giving your 50 and you're waiting for him to catch up on the other 50? Really? Marriage is not 50. I'm not not called to give 50% of myself to Teresa and her give 50%, and we try to make that happen somehow. We are called to give ourselves to our spouses. That means 100%. To give our whole self to them. In a the very real way, the church is supposed to be that way. When, when the Bible says that we are to esteem others more highly than we do ourselves, that, 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 is a, that is a declaration we are to give ourselves to one another. And to work through those relational problems. Because I guarantee they're going to be there. And let's look at the last thing. I encourage you to commit yourself to the fellowship of Satan by ministering to the saints. Every believer in this church is gifted for service. Every one of us. You want to you experience the joy of what it means to be a, a Christian? Serve others. Serve others. Once again, the greatest example of this is found in Jesus found in jesus he is the lord of the universe he is the one who created everything that is he is deserving of worship and honor and being served he's worthy of those things and yet he himself said i didn't come to be served but i came to serve and actually give my life as a ransom for many The greatest leaders, whether we're talking about in the world or in the church, of course in the church, the greatest leaders you'll ever know are those leaders who understand that service comes first. Avoid those who say, listen, I'm the pastor. Do what I tell you. I'm the pastor. Serve me. Or I'm the president. Or I'm the senator. It doesn't matter. When I was in the military, I was enlisted, and we had officers, the best officers, the best officers, were those that were there to support the troops, encourage the troops. And though they had the rank, they literally served the troops. It seemed to be the same way in the church. Jesus gave us this example, and I'll close with this example. The night before he was to be betrayed, and they met in that in that upper room. Yes, he served the Lord's Supper. But do you remember what he did before he shared the Lord's Supper with the disciples? He took a basin of water. This is the Lord. This is Messiah. This is the one they gave up three years of their life so far to follow. And what does he do? He wraps himself as a servant. He gets on his knees and he takes their dirty feet, their dirty, smelly feet, and he begins to tenderly wash the feet of his disciples. Again, Peter, the impetuous one, said, you know what, you're not going to do this for me, Lord. And Jesus said, listen, if I don't do this for you, you have no part of me. And as I've done for you, you do for one another. When Christ becomes central in our church, Our church will be what it's supposed to be. And when Christ's centrality moves out to what we do, who we are, how we join together, how we grow together, how we nurture one another, then the world begins to see there's a distinct difference between any other organization on this world and the body of Christ. It's not easy telling you, it'd be easier for you just to stay home. It would. It'd be easier for you just to stay home and watch TV. But that's not what we've been called to. That's not who we are. We're the church. We're the body of Christ. We were intended to walk together, to grow together, and to, yes, struggle together, and, and to give grace to one another, and to love one another, that the world might know that Jesus is Lord. Would you pray with me?